0: after that decision is a different life than what you're living now it's freedom being unstuck is it's like yeah it's freedom i think freedom is the word to describe it when you're stuck there's no fluidity there or maybe there's a little bit but not enough
1: i want you to meet mish Priest. Meech is an entrepreneur writer former art teacher, podcaster, and creator of Unstuck in 15, a system she designed to help anyone gain clarity and get unstuck with just three questions. On today's episode, we'll meet Mish and learn the lessons she took away from seven career changes, being a stay-at-home mom for 11 years, being an ex wife, the challenges, the rewards, and so much more. This is Mish and her story.
2: you have such an interesting story. You've been through so many career changes and I I don't know how seven career changes could even look like.
0: Like I've lived, I'm on my fifth life. (laughs) Tell me
2: about your very first career. What was it like and what did you take away from it?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if this doesn't count all of the jobs in high school, that kind of thing, I mean, we could add an eighth if I have my career as a photographer at Kmart Portrait Studio. But after that, I was an art teacher. I taught children art. I worked at a museum that had an art school, and that was a lot of fun. I had taken art classes all through junior high and high school and into university. I love working with children. I had a, a couple of parents had suggested that I start a business of teaching art and I talked myself out of it. So one of my lessons, if I could go back in time, I would say, don't let your self-doubt get in the way and suggesting that you, you know, start your own business. So just try, like you have nothing to lose by trying. Yeah. I think that was probably a lesson, I guess, a lesson of what not to do. I think I was at that for a year and maybe a year and a half. Uh, And then I, I would have kept doing it at the time I ended up having to step away from work because I was pregnant with my son and he was trying to come early. So I had to go on bed rest. So the last two months of my pregnancy, I was on bed rest. And then so my next, I guess, career, so to speak, I was a stay at home mom for 11 years
2: what was that experience like to take a break for 11 years
0: and then have to come back yeah so it was an exciting 11 years i i lived as so one of my lives i say i was i was an expat wife so expat is short for expatriate and it's when you don't live in your home country so my my ex we were married at the time and he was in oil and gas so we ended up in a 10 year span moved six times to four countries. So we moved from Oklahoma to Alaska. I lived there for two and a half years and then moved to Scotland. I lived there for a year, England for a year, Houston for six months, Oklahoma for three years, and then Calgary uh, in Canada. So it was fun. I love, I'm weird. I love moving. I love packing. I love everything about moving.
2: Now, do you have a favorite place?
0: I have favorites for different reasons. So I love, love, love Scotland, the people, the history, the traditions. And I enjoyed being in England. I lived in the countryside in Dorset, and that was just so magical. We had in the distance, you could see in the back of our house, a castle ruins. But I think. The place to me that's home is Canada. I, of all the places, I, this is, I've been in Canada for over 10 years, maybe even over 15 years, but I, I just, I love the people here and I love the, the Rocky Mountains when I lived in Calgary. And now I'm in Vancouver and Vancouver is just an amazing, beautiful city.
2: Gives you a greater appreciation as a person or culture, or life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to do more of it, too. I'd like to, to try living in a, a non-English-speaking country. it would be really difficult. Yeah, I think an interesting challenge. And the thing is, is anything that's hard, you can just do it short-term, and you could always leave.
2: <laughs> what country would you go to?
0: Oh, If I just had anywhere, anywhere. If I could live anywhere in the world, and I'd say for a period of time, I would probably choose Korea first because I'm half Korean. My mother's Korean, and I've wanted to learn to speak the language, and I try off and on over the years, and I think living there, I would be able to learn the language and just learn about more about the culture and meet some family members that I've never met before.
2: For me, I would want to Mm -hmm. probably live in Japan because there's something about Japanese culture that's really fascinating to me. But also, I love Japanese food. like, I think it's my favorite food of anything. I remember growing up as a kid, we would get sushi all the time because it was so abundantly available. (laughs) So I pretty much grew up on sushi.
0: Yeah, and apparently Vancouver, I think... I saw somewhere it was second in the world for sushi consumption after Tokyo or something.
2: (laughs) So what was it like to go through seven careers?
0: Well, some of them weren't really intentional. So I would say each transition was stressful, but worth it. Yeah. So when I decided to go back to work after my youngest was in school full time, I, well, I started at the worst possible time in the worst (laughs) industry. So I started in finance January, 2008. And that was the year of the crash. So the crash happened in October, 2008. And at that time, I mean, January, 2008, that was when things were booming. But once, once the crash hit, that was really hard, but so many Really, I mean, so many good lessons. I, so what happened was how I, because <laughs> it's like, how do you go from art teacher to financial advisor? I applied at all of these jobs, and people would say, Yeah, we really like you, but you don't have per- professional experience. And I had my sales experience as down as doing some fundraising for my kids' schools and helping my friends with their businesses, but because I wasn't officially paid and I didn't have the job title it, it didn't count. And so then this was a company that they actively recruit people uh basically if you could sell their products it didn't matter what your background was. Most of the training was around their financial planning products and not so much around actually being a financial <laughs> advisor interestingly enough. But yeah, they said if you could do this three-week course and complete it, then you can be a financial advisor. So I thought that sounds good. I I like learning and I have always believed in my ability to learn new things. So I wrote the exam and then became a financial advisor. And then pretty much the first day on the job was here's the phone book, call a bunch of people and book some appointments. Uh, so that was that was I joke and say it was like Wolf of Wall Street, but toned down a little bit.
2: That's pretty badass. Wow, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> Did you enjoy being a financial planner?
0: There were aspects of it I enjoyed for sure, and then there's a bit that I you know could do without so i I enjoyed meeting with the people I took being an advisor to people's financial futures seriously. So I I was constantly taking classes and learning how to be a financial advisor, even though it wasn't a job requirement and it was pure commission. So it kind of, you eat what you kill kind of thing. And so I learned so much from that experience and it was good for me at that point in time. But then me and a group of uh, five other advisors saw that we could make money more money going independently, and so when the market tanked and people stopped wanting to talk about investments, I switched to focus on insurance and ended up leaving that company and starting my own insurance brokerage and then that 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 I call that my equivalent to like a Harvard MBA plus tuition I, <laughs> I learned so much about business, about people, about leadership. Yeah. And, and anything I made, I, I put back into the company and I used Twitter to grow, to grow my insurance brokerage. So this was back in 2010 as a financial advisor. I, we started out on the investment side, selling mutual funds. And then there were these other insurance products. And because I really wanted to you know, be a proper financial advisor, and I was learning all of these things. I decided to get my insurance license while I was there and the insurance advisor that he was at the company to advise the investment advisors on how to be an insurance advisor i I you know just got as much time with him as I could and learned about all of the different products and so what was nice about going out on my own is. I wasn't constrained to the products that that company offered. So I was able to sell a dozen different companies products and, and I could really customize the experience for our customers. So I really wanted to make sure that there was a fit with the product and with the customers I was working with. So I didn't really have a loyalty to any one company and I prided myself on providing the custom service. But the challenge was was I was trying to scale bespoke insurance plans. So it, it took a lot of time to make the plans and to put them in place. And in trying to scale it, the more we grew, the more our overhead grew. So it was just hard to sort of create that spread and increase that profit margin.
2: You know, they often say the most important thing in life is to have fun. And I'm curious, what career did you have the most fun with?
0: Oh, what I'm doing now is so much fun. But also my last project, I worked on an, an app that used machine learning to tell you if a cat was happy or not. And that was a super cool journey. Machine learning is where you you feed the Like the computer system, you you feed it data and or the machine, I guess the algorithm, you feed it data and you teach the machine how to, I guess, I used to know like all these really great analogies. And then I've kind of deleted them from my brain, but the machine will, will, it gets like smarter as it goes and the more data you feed it it sort of picks up on the patterns and can make these predictions. And so, for example, with the cat app, we gave it data of cats that were what we labeled as not happy. So eventually we wanted to be able to differentiate between not happy because they're annoyed and not happy because they're in pain. But at the time, we just had data that they were not happy. And then we had data that the cats were happy. And these were images. So within machine learning there's just dis- different disciplines. there's natural language processing and computer vision and natural language processing is like like predicting like when you do predictive text and then computer vision is like kind of like what we see with the surveillance and, and stuff like that. So the machine would make a prediction on if the cat was happy or not and that particular model, was 97% accurate, which meant when compared with a feline specialist in reading the data, the machine, 97% of the time, predicted the same outcome as what the feline specialist predicted.
2: That is insane. That is a pretty high accuracy rate.
0: Yes, yes. So it was it was something that was surprising because a lot of machine learning models start out Around you know forty to sixty percent if they're a good model, and then you feed it more data and you train it more, and then hope you hope to sort of bump that accuracy level up so then I at the time was working on three different machine learning model products: one was lung cancer recurrence, there's the cat one and then business customer churn. so the cat model was the one that got more traction, so then I became full-time on that and leading that project. And so then it was my job to turn, turn the model into a product and then turn the product into a business.
2: Were there any important lessons that you took away from that experience that you bring with you today?
0: Oh, so many lessons, (laughs) so many lessons. Yeah. So I was on that for, I believe a year and three months. My biggest lesson. And it's actually a recurring lesson is to experiment. So a lot of times we'll see a problem out in the world, we'll experience a problem ourselves, and then we'll come up with a solution and we'll believe that that solution is the right solution. And so we'll move forward and in past products or projects that I've worked on, you know, go to build the solution and then I spend a lot of either time and money on marketing or trying to get people to adopt it. So what was cool about this project was because I got to lead it from the ground, I got to run a bunch of experiments. And I think one of the lessons, if I could do it again, was to run more of them concurrently for for different the different types of users or customers that we could have but definitely experimentation another really good lesson is if you have an idea for an app is to build something as quickly as you can and you can use these no-code solutions where you don't have to take the time it takes to write individual lines of code you can you can build these apps to do what you want to do in a fraction of the time and so we wanted to see how people could use the technology so wrapped a no-code solution or software around the machine learning model so we used adalo and so then people were able to access the model on their phone and take a picture of their cats and then get the data so then we could see all the different p- ways people were using the app experimentation was my my biggest lesson and even just trying things from a marketing perspective so the podcast realm was like massive to get to getting our voices out there. We were on pretty much every cat podcast we could get onto. And that's where some of our coolest stories came from. And our like really amazing connections came from podcasts.
1: That's so
2: fascinating. And, you know, I think experimenting is such an important thing for me as a marketer, just overall, you know, testing things, seeing, can you break stuff? Can you, figure out how to optimize a process. And I think that thought process really makes a difference with how you think, how you process information and the things that you do and the things that you create.
0: Yeah, I I think in life too, like almost anything, I was talking to somebody about even when you're in the dating world, like a lot of times people will go out on a date with somebody, think, you know, they feel like they like them and then they shut all the doors too soon <laughs> so I I told I you know tell my girlfriends or my kids or whatever you know when you're in the dating space in the beginning don't be exclusive right away and just you know go have coffees and lunches with a bunch of people and just you know get to know people before becoming official too soon
2: yeah Mish I need to be more of a man for So oh, I'm um, I'm curious you know Going back 10 years and where you thought your life was going to be today, did you achieve what you set out to achieve? Does your life look like today how you planned for
0: it to be 10 years ago? It did not, but I would argue it's better than I thought, but different. So when I was young in my early 20s, I just had this burning desire to build a unicorn. I wanted to create something from nothing and scale it and have everyone around the world use it. And I didn't even care what it was. And so I spent most of my career chasing unicorns. <laughs> and then last year I got laid off and decided I, I thought before or up until recently, I thought the two paths were be an employer or be an employee. And I tried being an employer and being responsible for payroll is really, really stressful. You know, it's funny how you think you want these things and then you have it or you kind of get a glimpse into it and it's not what you think. You know, we tell ourselves we want to be part of a unicorn and you hear these stories like the the guy who painted the walls at Facebook and got some shares. But when you're in it, it's so all-consuming. And so now this idea of being a solopreneur where I design my life first and then fit my work around my life, that to me is so exciting. So for example, I'm going to do two week digital detox for the first two weeks of May, and I'm starting with a three day silent meditation. So I'm at, yeah. So I get that flexibility because I don't have the obligations that come with owning a business where you have employees and I don't have an employer that gives me time allocation.
2: That's so interesting, Nish, because I think you and I are just so similar in so many ways because I think I've been through a very similar experience going through the process of not really knowing if I want to take on employees because I definitely didn't want a job at that point, like, that's not the lifestyle that I wanted for myself. But I knew that I wanted to be more intentional with my time and how I served. Yeah. In doing so, I also recognized that, like, I don't want to be responsible for payroll, right? Like, I, I don't want that. So, being a solopreneur really was that optimal choice and that ideal option
0: yeah and technology enables it with all these platforms with freelancers and so if you do need a couple of extra hands you have people on short-term basis on an as-needed basis and so and also being a freelancer you have that flexibility too that you can work on multiple projects and I really like the direction that the world is going with this fluidity
2: I think yeah I think it's really interesting like you can hire a graphic designer off of Freelancer and, you know, use other people's capabilities and skills, whether it be in the town over or abroad, you can find talent and connect with people who can help to achieve greater and bigger things. Like years ago before the internet existed as a commerce platform platform, I remember a time when, you know, you would have to go to the store to buy stuff like Amazon while it was available. I don't think it was as widely accepted in society as today.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the magic there. It's that they call it the long tail, but just that you have access to millions or I don't even know if maybe even potentially billions of people. So you can create a product and sell it for ten dollars. But if you sell it to tens of thousands of people and you create lots of those products, it's just, it's, it's just crazy what people are doing and what I see happening out there.
1: And you know,
2: the other thing that really sticks out to me about you as a person is the fact that you were able to persevere and overcome adversity to get to a place now that you're happier you're a happier, better version of yourself through who you are and how you go about your life. And I think that's really, really cool and very inspiring about you.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I sometimes wonder like, what is it that kept me going sometimes when I, I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like I should quit things sooner, but thank you though. <laughs> I'm the same way.
2: I take on way too many things and then like sometimes I crash and burn, but at the same time I learn. So, and as long as you learn, yeah. I think that's an important thing.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that was something where just a couple months ago, I felt like I failed at everything. I had all of these careers. I got laid off three times. And then somebody said to me, You've been successful at everything you ever did. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I've you know had all these career changes and I've gotten laid off. And and he said, Yeah, but you move forward every single time. And I think that's the key. As long as you're learning, you're not losing. And I and now looking back, when you, you look at how sex, success is defined, it's really when you have an outcome, a desired outcome. And and you measure if you've reached that outcome or not. And now I'm redefining success as, you know, what, what am I, how am I spending my time? And do I own my time versus have I reached X number of whatever it is by X timeframe? And there's so many unknowns and so many things outside of your control. And it's interesting how, we can internalize those things. Or at least for me, I saw myself as a failure when in a lot of circumstances, the failure came from things that were outside of my control. And so now I I don't see failure as a bad thing. I see it as simply not meeting an expected outcome. And then I can ask myself, was that outcome reasonable? And yeah, so it's, it's like a, a shift in thinking.
2: So, Mish, I know the last year has not been the easiest for you. What were some challenges that you had to overcome as a person and as an entrepreneur in the last 12 months?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if we really, the starting point of the transition was when my dad passed away February of last year, and it's hard, you know, losing a parent, but what what kind of caused me to really pause was he's my stepdad, so I've known him since I was ten, and basically, since his thirties, he's been counting down the days to retirement, and I think it was a favorite uncle of his you know worked to sixty five retired, lived to eighty eight did all of the things full time that he wanted to do, so you know tinkering on his car and woodworking and bird watching and building train model sets and things like that and i think my dad just really wanted to do that full time instead of just on the weekends and sometimes in the evenings so was counting down the days i mean i would say probably every other time i saw him the word retirement would come up and he was a year and a few days short of that and so it caused me to really think about what do i want and what's getting in the way of that and i want to see the world and i want to own my time and having the stuff was getting in the way so we sold everything last year so we sold our primary residence furnished sold our rental property sold the insurance brokerage we had that kind of running passively and i sold my car <laughs> so now i don't want a car and so that was the the start and then other challenges I faced was I got laid off, which actually, in hindsight was like couldn't be better timing. But it was really stressful because once again, I was faced with what am I going to do? like what am I going to do with my time and and also who am I i f- I feel like as an employee, I had to try to become something, and even as an employer, there was something to become like become a successful founder or become a founder who raises capital as an employee, it's, you know, becoming whatever the role requires of you. So when you're at a certain level, you need to be eloquent and polished and present yourself in a certain way because you're representing the company. And so I, what I like about being a solopreneur is I can be me. I can be completely vulnerable. I can talk about all my failures. I can be goofy and silly and I can say things. And if I say something that I don't know, isn't like socially acceptable or whatever, I don't have somebody else's reputation to worry about. I can acknowledge my mistake. I can apologize and, you know, grow and move forward and not have it be something that becomes like this big defining thing and and so i think yeah i the hardest part was getting started i was in a funk and i was meeting with a friend of mine and he said just ship something and i was like ship what (laughs) i don't know what to ship and so then he suggested I do 100 days of no code. And that's...
2: remember you were talking about that. Yep.
0: Yeah, that was the best advice because it gave me a task that I could do from start to finish. So every day you get an email and it's a 30 minute task, you know, plus or minus. And I learned about a whole bunch of tools of how to build apps and websites without learning how to code. Each activity would kind of get my creative juices flowing and some, some of them I would have to come up with sort of like a business concept or something that I would need the technology for. And yeah, it was just, it was just so good. And then, so some of my projects that are still going I'm doing as a result of a hundred days of no code. And then also what was nice was on my low energy days, I could just watch a five minute video on a new, no-code tool, or I could poke around on a project and learn a new feature. And then on my high energy days, I can go into a rabbit hole and spend two hours immersed in whatever it was I was doing.
2: What is a hundred days of no-code because I've, I keep hearing about it, but I'm not really sure what exactly that is.
0: Yeah. So a hundred days of is where you can go to sign up and it's free sign up for their free program. I, I thought it was so crazy that I was free that I got their paid version. <laughs> and the paid version gives you access to the Discord community and there's lots of support. So that was good because anytime I got stuck, I could go and get help. And then it's also nice to see other people's projects and and some people would go and do they also offer these boot camps. So you can do a boot camp if you have like a larger project idea. And then I can't remember how many weeks it was, but by the end of it, you have your major project that becomes your business. So it's cool to see people in that community and what they're building and how it's doing and to be able to cheer them on. So yeah, it's it's just a really cool program.
2: That's really interesting. And essentially you spend a hundred days to build something Without code?
0: Yeah. So I ended up in the first two months, I built, I think, 15 different apps and websites. And now I think that I think by the end of the hundred days, I've probably, I should count them, go count them, but I maybe built around 20. And they were anywhere from there was like a, a voice app. If you had an idea for something using your voice, you could. Built marketplaces i built a a resource app there was a crm so client what does crm stand for client retention management system a personal wiki yeah and do you sell (laughs) any of those things or you just built them for yourself yeah so let's see what did i build that i did so i I built what was i using i think i used softer s-o-f-t-r Io to build my homeroom site. And I call it homeroom. And it's basically a way to take online courses with other people. So we have our cohort-based learning courses, which I love, and they're great. But there's also a ton of online courses that you can take, but you don't have the community or people to take it with. And I can't even tell you how many courses I've signed up through Udemy or Coursera or you know, gum road or whatever. And then I have all these intentions to do it and then never get around to it. So with one of my projects, I created Home Room and I ran a pilot where we had three groups and two of them met once a week for four weeks and one of them met for an hour three times a week for two weeks. So I think I'll resume that in the fall. And the course that we studied together was a LinkedIn course. So how to grow your LinkedIn audience. So that was one. And I had an affiliate link for that one. And then the other, well, Unstuck in 15 is like a micro coaching site that I've built. So I help people get unstuck in 15 minutes by asking three really intentional, high quality questions. And that's been my major project that's moved forward. So I've created a podcast around it and I've done probably like two dozen calls And I'm building out a framework, which will I'm hoping will be a book, like an official book. I'll create ebooks and smaller things along the way, but eventually I'd like to have it be a book that's sort of, you know, gone through the traditional publishing channel. Yes, I have been a fan of it since I first (laughs) learned about
2: it. And I think what you're doing with it is really impactful and I think it has a ton of potential to be something that can help a lot of people. So I'm excited to see where that grows.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. And it was crazy. It just started with an idea that popped into my head for a tweet. And I just posted, I believe it was on January 19th. I said, I bet I can get you unstuck in 15 minutes with three questions. And four people responded, which was surprising. But there's these categories of questions that have emerged. So I'm, I don't know how many categories there will be, but right now I've got, well, I've got probably four that are actual like categories. And then I've got one that's forming. So Mish, how do you get unstuck in 15?
2: How does that work?
0: <laughs> yeah. So the time constraint is really important and the limit to the questions so I find a lot of times when we're stuck, we're thinking in binary terms. So option A or option B. And by being constrained by the number of questions and the time, it, it just forces like a type of thinking that you wouldn't have otherwise. That That's why I think it's magical, because I think if I just asked whatever questions came to mind, then the person on the other side could you know, have many sessions and not get unstuck. So, how it starts is I go over the disclaimer, you know, everything's confidential and explain a bit about it. And then I would say, Tell me how you're stuck. And so they would tell me what they were thinking about, what they were stuck on. And if they're stuck between option A and option B, the first question set is around what I call widening the lens and that's creating more options for yourself. So my master's research was on widening the lens around gig economy workers. So if you're a freelancer all around the world at the time, legislators were talking about are freelancers employees through platforms, are they employees or contractors? And then my research was to widen the lens and look at what are all of the options that have been researched, and I uncovered eleven options, and the top three weren't even the two that have been debated around the world. so the first question is, yeah, what are all of the options available to you? So for example, you know, be an employer, be an employee. if somebody comes to me and they said say, like I don't know if I should just look for another job or if I should like create a startup, then another option is this solopreneurship, or maybe you do a mix and you have freelancing work in with creating info products in with, you know, creating some of these SaaS or these technology web app type products. And, and then the second question set is around getting more data or information about each of the options. So most people, well, not most, but a lot of people get unstuck after the first two because uh, they see what's possible outside of the two options they're considering. And then the third one was always the hardest question to come up with because it was my last question. but categories are emerging there. so sometimes people the the perceived risk is what holds them back from making a decision. So even just Saying it out loud, you know, what are all of the risks of all of the options? They'll come up with their own risk mitigation. Two in between each question, I repeat what I heard. So sometimes just he- hearing, like getting out of your own head and hearing somebody else say what you're thinking can help you get unstuck.
1: Like that's so insanely
2: <laughs> cool.
0: It's well, it's been organic. So I've just.
2: So how do you become a better learner? You mentioned. Curiosity, as one.
0: Yeah, following your curiosity and being open to. So I think any time we assign that something is right or wrong, we close our, our ourselves off to learning and then close ourselves off to opportunities. So, being open enables you to learn and and grow and. I think too, letting go of expectations of an outcome or expectations of yourself. So, for example, I did a web development boot camp. It was full time. It was a 10 week program, but I had to roll over to the next cohort because, yeah, it was really hard, <laughs> but I got through it. But one of my ways that I got in my own way was I had, I expected to pick it up quicker than what I did. And so having that expectation closed me off to being open to learning the materials that I was being exposed to.
2: That's really powerful. And, you know, earlier we talked about a podcasting cohort that we are both actually a part of since last month. And I'm curious, what inspired you to want to start a podcast?
0: Well, there's a bit of FOMO mixed in, but I was part of the Daniel Vassalo's Portfolio of Small Bets cohort, and that's how I met Esprit. We were in the same cohort in cohort one, and I I was just so impressed by her ability to ask high quality questions and I've been learning more intentionally about questions since I read the Al Hal Griegersen's book questions are the answer I read, read that I think in 2018 and I've thought about having a podcast on and off for yeah probably the past couple of years but it just seemed really overwhelming with all of the moving parts all of the technology you know finding people to interview interviewing them making it a good podcast something that people want to listen to marketing it figuring out the sound and the just all of the stuff so i just put it out of my head and then when espree said she was doing this and she may not do it again right before then i promised myself i wasn't going to sign up for any more cohort courses or online courses or cuz i was wanting to wrap up the 100 days of no code and then take some time off so then i thought i don't want to miss this so i signed up for it and and then just push back my break so i get that at the beginning of may but i was on the fence about actually going forward and doubling down on podcasting until probably a week or so ago, so maybe three weeks into this. And I just wasn't sure if it was something that I wanted to dedicate a lot of time to. But what changed it was Esprit reached out to her connections, and we've had all of these amazing presentations. And then just seeing all of the tools that are out there that are built to support podcasters and making it easy. The one tool that I'm excited about learning that I haven't tried yet is Descript, which is supposed to help you edit. And it's in like a text format. So it kind of works like a Google Doc from my understanding. And then, yeah, GarageBand, which was something that seemed super scary to me. Somebody in the cohort walked me through it. And or a couple people, actually. <laughs> and so I edited my first audio clip just this weekend with GarageBand and it was fun and wasn't as scary as I thought. Yeah. So and then your help too, just getting me excited about I, I think you helped me with reserving like all of the Unstuck in 15 names across all the social platforms. And
2: you just have to go for it. Because we, we always have this thought in our mind that, you know, we can't do something or that we're not good enough because we compare to whomever, but sometimes like what we have in front of us is actually really cool and worthwhile and can really help people. And sometimes it takes a little push to really go full force. And I think that's where you're going. That's really exciting to see this come to fruition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a cool journey and I've met so many cool people and, you know, people like you and then, yeah, people I wouldn't have otherwise that live, you know, all over. I think you're in Florida, right? Like diagonally (laughs) across from where I am.
2: What were some podcast bets that you took?
0: Oh, yeah. Some big takeaways is probably the main one is reaching out. And getting help and not doing something by yourself, there are so many creators out there, so even you know moving forward, there's a whole group of people that I can reach out to, you know through Twitter or whatever to get help. So that was a big takeaway. I'm excited to learn about some of the or to apply some of the learnings with you know the newsletter approach to making connections and also learning what other podcasts are out there, some bets. So I'm doing the unstuck in 15 podcast. And then I've got a small wins podcast is, which is inspired by the small bets communities, basically interviewing or learning about solopreneurs and their journey. So I'm excited about that and seeing where it goes. And then I'm going to try this descript. And if it's still not my jam, then I'm going to hire a freelancer to edit my (laughs) podcast. Yeah. And I heard that you could even take like a, say like a segment. So say with our podcast, you wanted to rearrange for the flow and ask a different question at a different point. Apparently you can grab that text and move it to where you want it. And it moves that audio for it to that spot.
1: I know it
2: has this feature where it can essentially mimic your voice based on
0: machine
2: learning learning, I think is what it's using to learn how you sound and it can replicate that which is cool and creepy at the same time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you just I think you just type the new word even if you didn't say it and then it would gather your voice from other words. Yeah. I I don't know how. Yeah. Just magic.
2: (laughs) And Mish, you mentioned you're doing two podcasts. How's that like? Is it difficult managing two shows?
0: Well, I think right now it's not difficult because so I've been basically up until this weekend, ignoring most of what goes into creating a podcast. And I've just been recording, just hitting record, 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 record. And I think the hardest part is everything else around it, you know, getting listeners, promoting it, producing high quality content. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm I'm going to continue moving forward and try to implement as much technology as possible to streamline it as much as possible and then see what I can outsource. and see how it goes. But I just, I have a feeling, I have a feeling I'm going to really love it.
2: There's definitely a validity to like doing something and learning as you do it and you learn faster because you have a chance to do it more. Yeah. So I definitely think that there's some unique opportunities there for you and you have some really cool ideas for your podcast. So I'm definitely excited to see where that goes. All of us have moments of feeling stuck. Being stuck is due to decisions waiting to be made. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that and what that means for you? What does being unstuck mean to you?
0: When you're stuck, you're in a limbo state. And a decision you could make is to do nothing and to stay where you are but a lot of times when people are feeling stuck it's because of a desire to want something different than the state that you're in so you know I like to talk about like get unstuck and live the life that's waiting for you because sometimes these decisions are life-altering decisions and you know if it's something Like going from being an employee to an employer or an employer to an employee or either to solopreneurship, like after that decision is a different life than what you're living now. It's freedom. Being unstuck is, it's like, yeah, it's freedom. I think freedom is the word to describe it because when you're stuck, there's no fluidity there, or maybe there's a little bit, but. Not enough.
2: It's almost like that analysis (laughs) of paralysis. Like sometimes we get stuck thinking about things too much. Like what mic should I get? Well, just buy a mic. Who fucking cares? Spend the money. Get a good mic. Like it doesn't matter. Get the
1: mic. You know, you don't have to spend three hours researching the mic because
2: those three hours are worth something. And like we talked about earlier that time, it's like, fuck, you don't get that time back. You know you don't get it back, so it's like you have to be intentional with your time, and it's so, so powerful and so important. and I think that like allows for you to be so, so successful at what you do. Like I still remember when you shared that cover art in the first week of the. Oh,
0: I should tell you the story behind that. <laughs> I,
2: I got to hear that story
0: so so this was week one, right of of the podcast cohort and I thought the cover art session was we were going to be told how to create the cover art. At that point, I didn't even have a concept for my podcast. Um, I had a couple of ideas. And so then (laughs) when I joined the call and everybody starts talking about theirs and showing theirs and I'm like, Crap, I missed the memo. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I looked at this piece of paper on the table and it said unstuck in 15 and I'm like, whatever, at least this will help me do the assignment. And so I opened up Keynote. I know you tease me for <laughs> using Keynote for everything, but it's, you know, like PowerPoint or whatever. And so I just like created a square and I put in the words and I changed the color and the font. And then I was like, I just need some type of visual. So I went to Google and I looked up stock and, you know, various words similarly. And then I saw this thing with smiley faces and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just do just have some smiley faces in various states. And so I made it in like five minutes. But, you know, I think if I had known that we were meant to have it done, I would have overthought it. I would have. Like made a bunch of different things and I wouldn't have come up with something like so simple as what I ended up having. And then I don't know that I would have created the Unstuck in 15 podcast because I might have talked myself out of it or, you know, gone with another concept. So I feel like it was a very serendipitous moment.
2: <laughs> and that is how Unstuck in 15 was born.
0: Yeah, the podcast. Yeah.
2: So I'm curious. Can three questions really change your life?
0: Yes. Yes. I've seen it over and over and over. Big decisions, small decisions. Absolutely.
2: What's next for you in your journey as an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah. So I actually woke up this morning with this idea and it's, it excites me. So, you know, we talked about the travel, travel, like wanting to travel and see the world. So this morning I woke up the thought with the thought of what if I could like get paid to speak and go and speak to groups and help groups get unstuck. But what if people around the world invited me? Like, what does that look like? So I'm, I'm going to sit with the idea and kind of put it out there and and see what comes my way. But I have a couple of ideas. I could see it in a corporate setting where teams get stuck in various ways and I could teach the framework and do like a workshop where people get each other unstuck using the buckets of questions. I can see it in, you know, conferences and sessions that are meant to be where you go to be inspired. And also with startup conferences or where people go to come up with their startup idea or get started. Yeah. So just putting it out there as a possibility. Who knows? Love that.
2: And where can our listeners learn more about you and what you do?
0: Definitely Twitter. Twitter is my favorite, favorite social media. So at Priest M-I-C-H-E and then priests like the clergy so p-r-i-e-s-t and also you can find me or book a session with me at unstuckin15.com and i am kind of on linkedin
2: you are so so amazing so thank you so so much for joining me today on creator's edge
0: yeah thank you so much for having me
1: You're listening to Creators Edge, a podcast for creators on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Amazon. It's the absolute best way to support your favorite podcast, and it allows us to create content just like this. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week.